This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. I'm Lynn Ponton of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, inviting you to listen to a podcast, Unmask, two therapists talking about psychological issues during the time of COVID. Please join us on in-depth conversations about COVID issues during this very challenging time. Thanks for tuning in. This is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here today for our special on Unmasked, and today we're talking about what's been going on for all of us really around the level of stressors that we're dealing with, the simultaneous stressors. And we're particularly focusing on people who maybe were already dealing with a lot of personal stress and having some mental health issues and how to help manage that during this time when there are additional pressures. Does that sound about right, Lynn? (laughs) That sounds like where we're at, Jen, with this. I think we're both experiencing not feeling exactly on as as this six months plus has gone forward with COVID, really. Oh, definitely. I mean, so for listeners, just to know a little bit, I drove up with my husband to Northern California to visit my parents. And so I'm a little bit out of sorts. And one of the things I'm seeing is that my ability to keep a a large amount of ideas in my working memory is impacted. And I think that's actually something that I'm seeing in a lot of my clients too, who maybe aren't like driving around like I am, but just understanding kind of how our brain functions and that, that, that mental taxation really affects our ability to stay on track with things, to hold things together and to keep our plans kind of moving forward. So you're definitely not the only one. <laughs> and one of the big concerns our, our discussion is really uh, partly brought about, of course, by all the people who depend upon us and our in our therapy. And I'm so grateful, really, to all of our clients who keep coming and calling and connecting. Yes. Uh, but really concerns about a whole group of uh, of individuals who had already been struggling mm-hmm. with the psychological issues and then COVID struck and it became even more difficult. And it reminds me of the time after September 11th mm. when there was initially, you know, more people available, more therapists, but as time went on about the six month mark in New York and around the country, there was actually less therapy available for people. And it was kind of a decline or contraction of psychological care. Hmm. So I think it's, it's harder. This is a time when you need it more than ever, really, to be connecting with somebody, be checking out your belief system, 
you know, all of us. And uh, we have the additional stressor of the election coming. And it really is a good time to connect with a therapist, but it is also a time where it may be harder to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that brings up a good point, too, around the connection piece that we talked about in our previous episode, how that is sort of the first step when we're dealing with stressors is that we reach out for social connection. And I think the pandemic obviously has made that much more challenging because even with September 11th, I know people came together in the community to hold vigils and to spend time with your family and to reach out to loved ones. And we are still doing that on some level, but without knowing exactly what the risks are to, to be in close quarters with people for so long, I think that makes it a very different experience, right? Because I think about how old was I? I think that was like my junior year. I was in high school. I remember that. And um, I just remember that a big part of what helped us get through that tough morning was just coming together as a class and being able to talk about it and be like, wow, like we're watching the Twin Towers and I don't understand what is going on and what does this mean? And But you weren't alone. And I think in the pandemic, there are quite a few of my clients who are on their own. Some of them are in families, some of them are, you know, in relationships or whatever, but there's also a good number of clients who are on their own. And I think that sense of being alone, but also the loneliness that can come with being alone is itself a huge stressor in terms of managing crisis. And you bring up a really good point Jen, that people did not feel as alone during that time. And this has gone on every day is that kind of stressor. Every day we lose 2,000 people in this country who die related to COVID. So uh, it just keeps going and Mm -hmm. people lose the resources and the friends and the strength that they really need to have with all of this, you know, because as this epidemic's gone on, I know more and more people who have not only had COVID, mm-hmm. but have died from it. And, you know, so there are many of us who know of somebody that we felt really close to. Yeah. And it's a hard struggle, I think, with this. Yeah. I mean, so so what that reminds me of, too, is I was reading an article about how some people did seek help after 9-11. And what was really interesting was, I guess, that in New York, they had tried to gather a bunch of therapists who um, use CBT or psychoanalysis is still pretty big in New York. And so they, they wanted to kind of promote these services to people. And at the time, there weren't actually too many people who were seeking these services and they were trying to look at, well, okay, if they're not seeking these services, like what are they doing? And what was interesting is a lot of them were seeking out what might be considered sort of alternative treatments. And so things like acupuncture, acupressure, and these different yoga, different modalities. And I think it's a reminder to me of how it's really a full system when you're taking care of yourself. It's your body. It's also your mind. And how do you make sure that you're really 
managing as much of that care as possible. And I think what I've noticed is in the beginning, people are very focused on just sort of the the bodily responses to what is going on because we get so activated and we're just trying to like manage that, right? But I think as we get closer to the six month mark, um, or even as we're edging closer to it, I've noticed more people reaching out to me. I don't know if this is the case for you, but people asking to set up appointments. And right now my practice is very full, so I'm not taking anyone on. But I think it's wonderful that people are kind of working to manage themselves during the crisis and then seeing also like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit more stable in these ways. Now maybe I can reach out and start thinking about some of my belief systems and really looking at my abilities to cope and, and the skills that I do have. One of, one of the things I've seen that's quite a bit like that in my practice is really families of those who have serious mental illnesses. You know, they have a, a child or an uncle or someone in the family who's got a big struggle going on psychologically, probably predating really this whole COVID uh, situation. And the family calls and they set up, you know, a Zoom session and we all try to strategize and work together, sometimes Mm -hmm. with the client and sometimes not if the client is, is really so disconnected at this time that they can't be there. And one of the things I think families of the seriously mentally ill are dealing with is many times their uh, family members gone off their medicines at this time Mm -hmm. because they haven't had face-to-face visits. So that's a really hard thing to deal with. And not only are they off their medicines, now the belief systems that the medicines we're dealing with are back right front and center in the family. And um, this is a time where I think all of us feel a little bit paranoid. <laughs> you know, we're worried about something, the election. You know, we're really beginning to worry about that and in many people from different perspectives. But uh, several of these patients have developed really thoughts about this future, uh, the next three months that are, are not ideas that many share, you know, in that way. Though we all have a bit of it at this time, so... That's what I'm seeing. There's a lot of challenge going on. Uh, A lot of family members trying to think, how can we help this family member that's really struggling? And how can we get into maybe a Zoom family therapy where we can begin to look at this stuff? Yeah, I think it's really a reminder of how these things, even though they may be sort of originating within an individual they are part of a bigger system. And so when you have someone who is dealing with some severe mental health issues, it's not really that they're on their own. It also affects the family members. And I think how what I've been working on with people is really looking at how stress affects people and how to lessen the amount of stress within the household if possible. Things like creating routine things like being able to just have a moment of connection, right? But also being able to allow people moments of disconnection if they're feeling overwhelmed. I think a lot of it really comes down to stress management and being able to understand how 
everyone deals with stress differently and there's not really like one right way, but there are ways that are more harmful and there are ways that are healthier. And how do we come together to try and create an environment in the home where even if the world outside has all these outside stressors going on, we're trying to maintain a sense of balance within the home. What kind of ideas do you think help would help our, our listeners with that? Uh, you know, you kind of, to focus on balance in the home where we're all living now is really important, but how can people really work to achieve this? I mean, I think a big part is in being able to reflect on what is it that you do when you are stressed out, right? Because some people are busy like cleaning out all their drawers and some people are vegging out on the couch, you know, and I think um, it can create conflict when you get to a place where it's like, well, you should be doing this because this is what I'm doing. And so to really step back and say have a perspective of like, okay, well, is this something that is affecting other people in a negative way? Or is this something where this is just how this person is managing stress and it's okay? Because fundamentally what I see is that like, when you have someone who is managing their stress well, they can almost become sort of like an anchor for the family or like the solid rock in the family. And it doesn't matter who it is. Everyone can take like can um, exchange roles. Sometimes we're the anchor. Sometimes the other person's the anchor, right? But I, I think that being able to really understand systems and that you don't have to control the other person if you do what you can to manage your own stress so that you feel more grounded. That sort of has ripple effects within the family. It brings up for me a family session I had with a, a client and the family this week. And uh, he uh, is a young man in his 30s who's really uh, decompensating related to uh, fears about yeah. COVID. Yeah. And uh, probably underlying situation or problem might be a bipolar disorder or mm. a severe obsessional compulsive disorder, really. Mm. So the, the things he's kind of struggling with. And he was doing pretty well before all of this. But uh, since COVID struck, his, his management of stress has really gone down, yeah. which means that his partner uh, has to step in and she has to really be available to be that rock you're talking about. And then the parents have been trying to pull back a bit uh, from the situation, but they have to meet her and really make the frame strong for her so that everybody can help him during this time. And the whole family, the system is really connected. You know, the client who's dealing with his own struggles and ideas related to this, his partner and the parents. So there's really a, a system that has to be anchored through this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that reminds me of some family work that I'm doing too, where one of the people, when they, when the mother gets stressed out, she gets really critical and she starts kind of not shouting at people, but really directing them and just 
saying really harsh words to her children. And so we talked through sort of other strategies that she has for managing her stress. And she hadn't realized that when she becomes stressed, she becomes very critical of other people as a means to kind of feel in control of things. And so we talked about being able to transition that or when she notices that she was getting critical, she would go into this sort of like self beat up cycle where she would make herself feel worse. And we talked about, well, okay, if you're already feeling stressed and then you're beating yourself up for feeling stressed, like that's not helpful to you. That's not helpful to your children. It's understandable. Like we validated that as an experience. And then we talked about, okay, well, when you realize you're in that space, what is something else that you can do? And this may seem kind of silly to to some of our listeners, but one of the things that we came up with is she actually really loves singing. And so singing actually activates your vagus nerve, right? It's one Mm -hmm. of the activities that activates your vagus nerve and your vagus nerve is part of your parasympathetic Uh, nervous system, which is your rest and digest system. And this sort of activates your sense of calm. And so we talked about her just like going into the other room for a moment and singing a song that she really likes. And I talked about, yes, you will feel silly in the beginning and that's totally fine. Just pay attention to how you feel after you sing. And she started to make this association with her brain where When I'm stressed out and I notice I'm criticizing, instead of beating myself up, I do something that makes myself feel good. And because I'm singing, I feel better. And then I feel more compassionate towards my family members. So I think also a willingness to try things that seem a little out of the box, but understanding the science behind it can help you realize that you don't have to make these like major, major changes, but that it's really catching yourself in those moments and doing something different. And that being kinder to yourself helps you be kinder to your family members. Yeah, that is such a good point. And I love the image of this woman saying, in the room alone, but helping everybody really through it. It makes such a big difference to do something like that. A a lot of the families that I've been working with, you know, trying to do a similar thing, help everyone feel better about themselves. So helping children even Mm -hmm. feel happier Mm -hmm. so they can bring that back to the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something that they do, maybe they can play a game such as hide and go seek that they really like, and the whole family can participate in it. But something that makes everyone feel a little bit better is really important. You know, so to find that thing for yourself, it may not be hide and seek or singing, you know, but there's something for everyone that can really help and take the stress off at the moment. And and that's the idea is I really want to remind people that like, it doesn't have to be this super serious, like 10 step plan that you're doing to get yourself out of stress. But really, when you're enjoying yourself in order to invite joy into your internal space, it requires a relaxation. So it's almost like, reverse engineering it where instead of like trying to force yourself into that space you begin with something that you know typically 
is joyful for you. And by doing that, you kind of, um, what is the word I'm looking for? You, you activate those patterns within you so that it, you move in that direction more naturally. So I think sometimes when people are stressed out, they think that they have to do some sort of big sweeping change in order to, to really do anything that is effective. And I think the other thing that I've shared with my clients that is helpful for them is to really understand that you, you cannot really truly feel different emotions at the exact same time. You can feel them in very close succession to each other, which is what we would describe as at the exact same time. But like physiologically, like that is not possible. And so if you are in a moment where you're feeling really down, but you are also trying to move yourself towards something more joyful, like it is possible to actually switch out of that much faster than people believe. I think on the other hand too, though, is also understanding that like you're not meant to just like be joyful all the time and pretend like things aren't okay. It's really finding that balance for yourself where it's like, okay, I'm acknowledging that things are really tough. I'm acknowledging that things are different and there is still room for those moments of joy. And so it allows you to feel a little bit more of what I call like a dynamic balance rather than things just being kind of a straight line. Well, bringing the joy in is really, really important. You know, the family I was working with, we ended up, we brought the joy in because we're all into cooking. Uh And at the end of, uh, you know, the session, we were showing each other what we were going to have for dinner and the different houses and everything. And that, I think, is a way of connecting. You know, we don't have the smell, we don't have the taste but we get the visual of this joy of the other families making food. So I think finding ways to bring those other senses into our life is really important. And what you're saying, I think is so important when people are in a down mood, you know, they really have to think of ways to spark that. So even having five seconds of joy, when you Mm -hmm. see somebody else's prepared dinner, Mm-hmm. you know, is, is helpful. I think there are different ways to bring that about and make it happen for the seriously struggling. And for those of us who are having the normal COVID struggles. Right. Cause I, I think what I see is when you're in what I call an unpleasant emotion, which often feels like you're being dragged down into something, it's very easy to get stuck in the space where it feels like that is just how things are and that is just how they will be. And so even the smallest reminder that like this is a temporary experience, I think is helps people keep from just like drowning in that sense of despair. And so it's not to say that you won't feel that way again, because these feelings are kind of, or these emotions are like waves that are coursing through you. But it's a reminder that just like the waves that course through you, they they don't just keep crashing on you, right? There are moments in between. And I think that is what helps people catch their breath in moments that are really challenging is recognizing like, oh, I'm allowed to have those moments of joy and, and they are there to, to be witnessed and experienced. And actually something you were bringing up um, reminded me too that 
one of the things that I focus on for people who are really, really having a, a hard time and, and managing more of like the mental piece is I, I focus, I've started focusing a lot on our sense of smell because our sense of smell is wired into the emotional brain. And so if you can find like a candle that you enjoy or a box of cookies or, you know, anything like that, it it can almost disrupt the the sense of despair that you're feeling because it goes directly into your emotional brain. And that's something I've been doing some research on. Like I said, I'm just kind of trying all these things because anything <laughs> to help people feel better, manage anything I can learn that, you know, has a potential to, to shift things for people. I'm like, why not try it? Right. And thankfully I have had my clients very willing to be guinea pigs in all of this. And we're discovering a lot of cool things. So for example, I had a client who had to write this paper that was really stressing her out. And she told me she really loves the scent of lavender, which is very common for a lot of people. Lavender is associated with relaxation. And so we started doing a pairing exercise where every time she felt stressed, she would then kind of light this lavender candle, take some deep breaths and, and just allow herself to experience that moment of relaxation. And then when she was going to write her paper, she made sure to light the candle and immediately she felt kind of that wave of relaxation. So again, these are examples where you don't have to do something big and sweeping, but it's really understanding how our brain pairs things together, being able to in integrate your, your senses as part of your healing process, I think is something new that I've been trying out. One of the, the things you're talking about is shifting our states of mind. And our, yeah. of course, our state of mind is connected with our body and the bodies yeah. of all of those around us. Yes. Like the mom who's critical, she connects her negative state of mind with everybody else's when she delivers the criticism. Yeah. You know, I think for people to be aware that we can shift our own state of mind mm -hmm. is really, really important. Because I think when we're down and we're depressed, we lose that idea that we can really shift it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And other senses such as smell, hearing, you know, taste, mm -hmm. they all serve to shift our, our, our state of mind. Mm -hmm. And I think for many people right now, we're either in an anxious state of mind or a depressed state of mind where we're thinking about loss and really finding ways to shift out of it is really, really important for everybody. And not that easy to do, but if you listen to all these ideas, there are a lot of ways to do it, really. Yeah, and I think to, to remember that this is less about the specific idea and more about helping people understand the pathway so that they can find their own route, right? Because, for example, like if you don't love singing, like you forcing yourself to sing is just going to stress you out more. <laughs> But, you know, if you know you love singing, then it's great. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and, and so, sure. exactly. And so there's nothing wrong with that, right? But you love cooking. Understanding that that's a similar pathway, because I think part of cooking is, is, you know, just kind of making things and thinking about other people and your loved ones, and it puts you in a very heart-centered space. 
But I think also with cooking, it, it, foods smell, you know, foods have different flavors. And so they bring in all these senses that help restore our sense of security in the world. And I think that's fundamentally what this is all about in managing stress is like, what are the things that help cue your sense of security? And how do you find ways to rely on them in healthy ways, right? Because some of the unhealthy ways is I know a lot of my clients are they're drinking more or they are um, playing games on their phone and just trying to kind of like numb out. And so we talk about understanding like, well, what drives you to do that? Well, what drives you to do that is that you are wanting to numb out. You're feeling overwhelmed. And so let's talk about what are other ways to deal with overwhelm? Well, shifting your mental state, your, your, your um, sense of being in that moment is a really powerful way to remind you that you aren't a helpless person, that there are things that you can do. And I think going back to the the sense of 9-11, I know I'm jumping all around here, but it's because my, my mind is less organized right now. Um, but going back to 9-11 is that a big part of what separates people from experiencing trauma versus just something being really stressful or something being really horrific is the sense of agency that you have. And so when you feel like there's absolutely nothing you can do and that you're trapped, that is often where our trauma responses get locked in. Whereas even if you remind yourself of the smallest ways in which you can shift things, that internal sense of agency actually plays a really big role in your own sense of mental well-being. And so part of the overwhelm is that people are thinking so big that they are telling themselves, I can't manage this. This is too much for me. There's nothing I can do here. And if you kind of shrink things down and say, okay, maybe I don't know what to do exactly about this election, or I don't know what to do about the fact that like, my mental health is getting activated in this way, but I can think about, well, in this moment, what is one small action I can take to remind myself that things can change? And it's that one small action. You mentioned, uh, Jen, that a lot of uh, people are really on devices using games to zone out. And I've been playing a lot of Roblox, which is a, a game with the kids that I uh, work with. You can get it on, it's an app. And one of the uh, games that's most popular right now is called Natural Disaster. So I've spent a lot of afternoons playing with different kids where we're all out there and then a natural disaster strikes all the little kids and myself, who is a little kid therapist, uh, you know, avatar. And then everybody's got to run around and protect themselves from the natural disaster. So you see how it's both a coping strategy. It calms the kids down to get to a safe spot. But at the same time, it's a traumatic reenactment that they're going through the trauma of the COVID world over and over and over again. And what's impressed me is really how many kids are reenacting the trauma over and over again. This game is hugely popular. You know, you may not know it, but look at what your nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds are doing. They're doing that game. 
And there's thousands of children on this right now. And uh, I think it's really how do you make even that game, a, you know, something that's going to help you. And I was playing it this week and three or four of us little kids got under a ledge and we found a place that was safe in the middle of this disaster. Yeah. And uh, I'm not too adept at being this avatar, so I can't move my little avatar creature around very fast. So I found this spot and all the kids that were cuddled around me and it was a safe spot. And it was a great moment. We had found something, you know, that worked for us and we weren't running around frantically. And, uh, you know, we, it felt like a victory, not only for the kids I'm having therapy and myself, but for the other kids who saw this. And it's kind of a model for what you're talking about doing, that we've got to really search out those safe little spots and find set ways to do it for ourselves. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that too, because as, as you know, I'm also a huge proponent of like play therapy with children. And I, I think it's also really important to help people understand how kids make sense of trauma is actually very effective in, in terms of the way that they reenact things. They reenact things so that they can give themselves an experience that they actually did not personally maybe get to experience at the time. And this brings me back to, I think I mentioned last time when I was working with kids around the San Bruno fires. And what I noticed that it was the kids who were talking about it, the kids who were playing out these really kind of scary scenes these were the kids who, in terms of their internal state, were actually doing the best because they were working through a narrative that was really terrifying for them, and they were facing it, and they were coming up with internal resolutions. They were, without knowing this vocabulary at the time, they were really activating that sense of agency, right? You being able to go under this ledge and get somewhere safe and then have other people join you. Well, that touches upon a lot of the different factors we've already brought up. So there's a sense of safety and then there's a sense of security because you're not alone there, you're with other people. And, and so all of that through play, I think, is so powerful. And what I noticed when I was working with the kids in the San Bruno fires is a lot of times parents were freaked out that their kids were drawing these pictures or that they were playing with their blocks and acting out these scenes because they thought it would traumatize their children. But it's actually the opposite. The children who are drawing the pictures, the children who are playing out these scenes, they are using their internal resources to craft a narrative where things feel safe, where things feel manageable. And I think that's so powerful. And, and just to reassure parents that like, if your kids are drawing these scary <laughs> things or they're coming up with stories about you know, the, the big scary disease or whatever it might be, they are using their internal creative resources to re restore their sense of safety and security in the world. And this is exactly what the healing process is all about. Uh, it really, you describe it so beautifully, Jen. The little girl that I was playing the game with, where we went into the game with all the other kids, the, the uh, natural disaster game, she had had COVID mm -hmm. and she had been through all of this. So it's really part of her recovery yes. to go back 
with me and work it out and feel safer at this this point in time. And I, I think that again, connecting with other people who can make you feel safe and then you know, working strongly to look at these disasters that we're really in the middle of right now. Mm -hmm. And it is like that game, because in that game, it goes to or tornadoes coming and then a tsunami's coming. And oh my it's gosh. One thing after another. So you got to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do think the principles we're talking about working on your own state of mind, connecting with others, making sure that the the struggling people in your family get special help. Mm -hmm. All of those things make a difference during this time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you're sharing that game with people because I definitely didn't know about it. And I think that's a great recommendation. And I think just helping people understand, I think if they take anything out of this, I hope that it really is this sense that you know, these small things that you do, these small choices you make in this moment, they can have a huge effect in, in your sense of well-being and that, that you don't have to have this elaborate plan in order for things to be okay, that you can really focus down on these small pieces and remember that there are these moments for joy and remember that working through something is a process and there will be ups and downs, but that as long as you remember that you have within you capabilities to help you get through anything, that is going to be an anchor for you no matter what storm. Yeah, that's really what it's about is finding a, a safe place in the middle of all of this. Well, Jen, as always, I thank you. You're a port in the storm here, too, for me. <laughs> and uh, we'll plan to record again in two weeks. Come Sounds back good. with Unmask. Great. Sounds good. Thanks, Lynn. Take care. Come on. Let's talk about sex.